What's going on, everybody? And welcome into another edition of B-Shape Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you. Rolling on after a Cardinals winner over the Royals on Tuesday night. 6-5, to five, the Cardinals defeated the Kansas City Royals at Bush Stadium. The return of Albert Pujols, it feels like it's been complete now. It feels like it's it's really real because he's done the thing that we were all waiting to see him do from the moment that it was announced that he was returning to the Cardinals, and that was his first home run. And he delivered on Tuesday night with his first hit since returning to the Cardinals, and of course it had to be a home run. What else was it going to be when it's Albert Pujols facing a left-handed starter, Daniel Lynch, for Kansas City? Albert takes him deep, the first pitch that he sees, and as it turns out, that is exactly the way he predicted it would go when he was talking to Cardinals manager Ali Marmol earlier in the day during batting practice. Came up to me during the BP today and said, first pitch I see today, I'm hitting it out. And he did. Um, but, uh, no, he's feeling good about his swing. His timing's there. Um, he, uh, yeah, he squared several of them up today. What was your reaction when he told you that? I believed him. <laughs> no, that's the first time he's ever done it with me. So I'll believe him next time, too. Cardinals manager Ali Marmol after Tuesday's win talking about the fact that how about that Albert Pujols came up to him during batting practice and said yeah the first pitch I see today I'm taking it yard and to go out not only to say that but then to do that it's a sign that you're dealing with a, a pretty special baseball player I don't care if he's 42 years old I'm not sure how many players in the game even today you would hear that kind of story about and then be like, oh, yeah, that sounds sounds kind of like Albert. That's what he does. He's the machine. It's pretty amazing to, to see Albert Pujols adding to his ledger of moments like this in the year 2022 with the St. Louis Cardinals. I've used the word surreal a few different times in describing the sensation, the feeling surrounding Albert Pujols being back on the Cardinals and, and just kind of what that means. But I got to say, like the fact that it happened tonight and he hit the home run, that was kind of what completed it. And, and for Albert, I'll play for you what he had to say about about, about the prediction that he made to Ali Marmol. But he also kind of later on, as you get to talking to him, because of course, everybody wants to talk to Albert and wants to hear what he has to say about, about moments like that. But Albert, for his part, is in the moment, in the point now where I feel like he just wants to move on to general talk about the team. I'm not worried about myself and my my records and things like that. Like, duh, that's all anybody wants to talk about, but he he kind of wants to shift the conversation and, and say we're we're trying to chase a championship. That's the main the main deal of it and and that's kind of where he wants the focus to be. But obviously, he's not going to give his way on that. Not in 2022, not with uh, the record that he has the potential to chase down. Or I should say the 700 homers. He doesn't it's not a record, but uh would be one of only four people in Major League Baseball history to achieve that number. And so it would be pretty special to be able to get it done. And beyond that, if you're thinking about chasing somebody down, he, he can chase down Alex Rodriguez, who right now sits fourth all-time on the all-time MLB home runs list at 696. Kind of crazy to me that A-Rod retired before knocking out those four extra homers to get to 700, but that's where he was at that point in his career, I guess. Albert, Needs 20 more. He's at number 680, and here's what he had to say on Tuesday night. Not really about the home run because, again, the the questions he was asked about that and the emotions, 
He didn't really go into that, so it's not interesting enough to even play, to be honest with you. He wanted to be more focused on the team and winning games, and I think you're going to hear a lot of quotes like that from Albert this season. But the question about, hey, you told the manager that you were going to hit the first pitch you saw out of the yard today. What about that? Here's what Albert had to say for that one. You know, I think when you had when you had 680, I think sometimes you made those calls. So <laughs> I guess that was one of the end that I feel good out there, and I feel I had a good feeling, you know, about the approach that I was going to take tonight. And sometimes you get lucky, and it happens. And happened it did for Albert Pujols on Tuesday night, as his approach was good. Not only in that first at bat when he took Daniel Lynch deep on the first pitch he saw, 93 miles per hour, basically on the black at the bottom of the strike zone, but it was in the middle of the zone as well. Looked like a fastball around 93 miles per hour, according to the broadcast. That's just not a place you're going to be able to put a four-seam fastball against Albert, which I guess is what it was. I thought maybe it was a sinker. I don't know that Lynch throws one of those. Looks like his profile states fastball, so I'm going to assume that's what it was. Yeah, Albert was ready for that pitch. I think he had a good idea for how he was going to be pitched. He knew what pitch he was going to be looking for if he got it, and he did. And he deposited into the seats. And that was as part of a back-to-back, by the way, because Nolan Arenado remains just absolutely red-hot for the Cardinals. He hit another home run, and it's the same home run every night. The line drive, line shot doesn't get too far off the ground. It's not a towering bomb by any means, but he hits it hard, and it gets out of the yard quick, and he turns on it. The way he's turning on pitches this season, at least in the first four games, it's obviously early, and that's a small sample size, but these are the kinds of things that Nolan Arenado talked about wanting to work on, wanting to be able to get around on some of these pitches, fastballs in particular. The pitch he hit tonight off a of Lynch was more of an off-speed, 86 miles per hour, probably a slider, outer half, and Nolan, he he pulled the ball, and again, you, a lot of times you talk about maybe a, a batter hitting it where it's pitched, but if you can get out in front of a pitch like Nolan Arenado did to this 86-mile-per-hour slider on kind of the outer half of the plate and still pull it. It wasn't maybe the most mechanically sound swing that he's ever had just because he kind of had to go down and get it a little bit. But he pulled it and pulled it with authority because he was able to get, he's talked about getting his hands quicker through the zone and and that allows the the head of his bat where you're going to generate the most power to be in the right part of the zone when it needs to be. And again, this wasn't exactly a fastball at 86. I think it was a slider on the outer half. But he knew it was coming, was able to to dial it up and unload on another pitch into the, the uh, visiting bullpen there in left field, left center field area. He's on fire, folks. I mean, Arenado, it's possible that a year after he had the OPS that was lower, you know, in the lower 800s, not where he's used to being from his days in Denver, it's possible that Mr. Arenado just has an absolute year for the Cardinals in 2022. He looks so comfortable. He looks confident in what he's doing. Again, just a one for four night. So it's not like those games where he's just every at bat just dominating, but he's going to see enough of those pitches where if he connects, it's going to go. And that's what he's been able to do so far early this season. He's not the guy leading the Cardinals in OPS, technically, not after tonight, not after Tuesday. His OPS is 1659,000. 659 is the OPS. He's slugging near 1,200. Three home runs, nine RBIs in four games for Arenado. It's ridiculous. It's just silly. But the guy leading the Cardinals in OPS after Tuesday is Andrew Kisner. 
who had a three-run homer that he hit on Tuesday night. Was glad to see him get the chance, by the way. Thought maybe with the off day on Monday happening because of the rainout and the postponement of that final game of the Pirates series, that maybe it was going to be a case where, oh, well, Yachty got his day off, and so you're out of luck, Andrew. Sorry, you don't get to start. Wasn't the case. He gets to catch the game for Hudson and for Jordan Hicks, who came in there after. We'll, we'll talk about the pitching as well here in a minute. But he gets a chance to start. He bats ninth in the lineup. Didn't matter. He supplied the power and absolutely turned on a pitch for a three-run homer that, as he even said in the postgame, yeah, that kind of ended up being the game winner because the Cardinals win it 6-5. to five. At that point, it was 6-3, to three, and you needed every one of those runs generated by Kisner on that swing because it ends up being a 6-5 game. Henesis Cabrera gave up a home run in the eighth. Uh, Nick Whitgren coughed up a run in the seventh. And that ends up being your final score. So, big swing by Kisner. Cardinals needed it. Great to see for Kisner. I, I The more Cardinals fans get to see of Andrew Kisner, the more they're going to love him. Not that they already don't love him, but it, you do get a chance to see his personality come out a little bit more. And he's got a great personality. You could see him. I mean, he really pimped the crap out of it. Uh, kind of threw the bat and looked back toward the dugout. He was fired up. And I asked him about that after the game. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the guy in the clubhouse that I try to keep things light. I try to, you know, fire the guys up, he said. It, 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 he's just got that energy about him that you really like. I think it's great for a clubhouse. I think it's even better for a clubhouse when a guy like that has a chance to do some things on the field as well, as Kisner did on Tuesday. Yachty's obviously going to play the bulk of the games, but to, to see Kisner get that opportunity too, I think it's so important. And Ali Marmol has said, like, that. It, this is going to be kind of different. And Yachty's on board with it. It, it seems to be the case that you're going to get, I, I feel like it's going to be at least one out of every five, you know, a turn through the rotation. You're probably going to see some Andrew Kisner. And I think that is the way that it should be. And if I'm looking ahead to 2023, you know that this is going to be Yachty's last year. He's already said he's retiring. Okay. I, if I'm the Cardinals, I feel really good about where I am at catcher with Andrew Kisner. I've heard people say, well, Yvonne Herrera is coming up. He's the top prospect there. And maybe you just trade Andrew Kisner to to beef up the, the roster somewhere else. And then Herrera is probably ready in a year or two. For me, modern baseball, no, no, no. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing the Carson Kelly thing to Andrew Kisner, which, again, you got Paul Goldsmith in that trade. Nobody's going to say that was wrong. Paul Goldsmith is, by the way, still in the prime of his career and I, I think going to have a really good season. But with Andrew Kisner, man, I like his energy I think offensively, he's ready to take a step forward after spending year after year kind of honing in defensively and and taking the onus upon himself to recognize how important that element of the game is as a catcher, especially as a catcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. Yadier Molina and, and even Mike Matheny before him has really set a precedent that for the last 20 years, you're, you got to be on top of it in, in managing a pitching staff and, and recognizing how important that is uh, to the su- success of the team. I think Andrew Kisner has learned a lot as far as that's concerned, and and he's ready and and doing a lot of this in the last six months or so, focusing on his offense and what he could potentially provide the lineup. Well, tonight he provided a huge swing that the Cardinals had to have in retrospect, winning the game 6-5, to which, by the way, I love that they won it 6-5 to because on the big show, KTGR in Columbia, Missouri, ESPN Radio out there in Columbia, I do the afternoon show with Andy Humphrey, 4 to 6 p.m. weekdays. 
and we had who you got, who you got today between the Cardinals and Royals. I said, all right, let's do our score predictions. And I said six to five, and I've got proof. I've got audio proof. Here it is for you. I predicted pretty much to a T what we would see in the game. I'll play that audio for you now, just so in case anybody's doubting me. Here's here's what I said this afternoon before the Cardinals beat the Royals on Tuesday night, six to five. I'm gonna go with six to five Cardinals. I think it's actually a closer game than Andy predicts, but I think that that most of the damage is gonna come off the starter. And there, and Hudson's gonna give up he's gonna give up three runs, four runs in like five or six innings. It's it's gonna be kind of ease his way in. I don't know about you folks, but that sounds pretty damn good to me. Six to five Cardinals. And I even nailed Dakota Hudson giving up three or four runs. I, I was wrong about the five or six innings part. They stopped Dakota Hudson on Tuesday after 70 pitches, only got through four innings. That's a trend across baseball. Again, for as much as I feel like people want to freak out about the rotation for the Cardinals the first time through, and yes, there are some valid concerns there. We also have to recognize the landscape that I think baseball's in right now with the, the lockout shortening spring training. Pitchers are not built up to where they want to be, and teams are going to be careful with them, even if the pitcher is going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm good to go five, six, seven innings, just like always. The teams are, it, there's too much at stake at this point in the year to just take a guy at his word. They're going to be very careful with guys. Uh, the Cardinals also had the added incentive tonight to stop Dakota Hudson early because they knew they wanted to get multiple innings for Jordan Hicks, and Jordan Hicks looked really good. He had an 11-pitch walk to to Cam Gallagher, the first batter of the game that he faced there when he came in for the fifth inning. After that, though, he was pretty much lights out. The next 16 pitches, he recorded six outs, got a double play there in the fifth inning, and then in the sixth was able to breeze through things pretty quickly. He talked about the slider command being basically uh, the linchpin for him to be able to get done what he wanted to get done. Didn't feel like he had it at the beginning of the outing. Uh, was able to, I think it was maybe even a slider that got that double play ball uh, before he was able to get out of the fifth inning. And then he said during the uh, intermission there, intermission, it's like I'm talking about a Broadway play. No, he said between innings to Andrew Kisner, and Kisner brought this up as well. Uh, Kiz got to go to the podium, which I thought was cool. Something new that they're doing post-game to take you a little bit behind the curtain. Typically, we just would talk to Ali Marmol, or in the past it would have been Mike Schultz, Mike Bethini. We'd talk to the manager in the interview room, but then you'd have to go into the clubhouse to get the sound and, and interviews from all the players. But what they've done, at least a couple of the games so far this year, a player of the game might be brought into the interview room to talk for a little bit, and then the manager would come in. It's been a little bit of a weird start because Skip Schumacher was technically the manager for a couple games, and so that kind of threw things off the rails. But I believe that generally that's going to be their plan. And so it was kind of cool for Andrew Kisner to get to go to the podium. But what he said about Jordan Hicks, he said, Hicks told me between innings, you know, he wanted to really get that slider nailed down, and he certainly was able to do that. Struck out Bobby Witt Jr., the top prospect for the Royals, on a slider, he struck out Salvi Perez on a slider, and Salvi had two home runs tonight. So uh, potentially, I think he led the league, the American League, in home runs last year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, mistaking. I can't even speak tonight. Whatever. Hit like 48 home runs a year ago, did Salvi. I uh, would not be surprised to see him do that again based on the, the pace that he was on tonight with two homers. And one of them was absolutely crazy. I'll get back into Jordan Hicks in a moment, and I'll talk about Dakota Hudson as well uh, before we wrap things up here tonight on B-Shape Daily. But I want to talk about this home run that was hit by Salvador Perez. I believe it was the second home run that he hit. I think it was the one that came off of Henesis Cabrera. 
And it was bonkers because I don't know who this fan was, but there was some weird stuff going on because basically Bader leaps at the wall in center field to try and bring back a home run, doesn't quite get his glove to it, and the fan ends up kind of reaching out and catching the ball and maybe getting in Bader's way a little bit. But again, this was over the wall, so that's why there was no call for interference. I don't think there would have been any reason to to challenge that because in retrospect, if you watch the video, I think I think it was all clean. Once it's over the wall, same thing in fair versus foul territory. If you're down the lines and an outfielder or a fielder tries to reach across into the crowd, they can do that. But at that point, there's no interference if the fan ends up kind of bumping into the player once they reach into the fan's territory. The fan can do anything. They, they have basically equal rights to the ball at that point and anything goes. I think that's kind of what happened on this home run. And Bader was a little bit short on the leap. I don't think he would have gotten gotten the ball even if the fan weren't there. But what happened after that was the weird part where the fan and the the video actually that MLB tweeted out about this, I'm, I'm sure that Bally probably tweeted the same one, but I only happened to see the MLB tweet. They were hyping up Salvador Perez for hitting another home run. But you could see a guy in a Cardinals shirt, clearly a Cardinals fan, who caught the ball and he's kind of, you see him shouting, hey, Bader, hey, Bader, kind of wagging the ball at, at Harrison Bader, and then the camera cuts away, and what it doesn't show is the fan throwing the ball back toward Bader. Now, I don't know 100% whether the ball struck or hit Bader or not. People on Twitter were talking about, you know, if that's what happened, the fan should have been ejected. Uh, some others in the press box had a better look of it and said, yeah, he threw the ball at Bader. Like I said, I personally didn't see whether or not it hit him, but regardless... I think the intent is maybe all that matters there. And then Bader was understandably frustrated, threw the ball back into the bleachers, like way further back than where this fan was in the front row. And maybe some words were exchanged. Again, they didn't show this whole thing on the replay, so you kind of just have to to piece it together based on what you know and what what was uh, being reported there at the time. But it was crazy that just to see a fan, Cardinals fan, right? Wagging the ball and and you could mouth you could make out what he was saying, read his lips. He was saying, "Hey Bader, hey Bader." And honestly, the way it looked to me, without being able to hear the tone of voice, it was like he was kind of taunting him a little bit. Maybe it was that he was just trying to get his attention and saying, "Hey Bader, I'm going to throw this ball back to you." And you know, sometimes you get into a moment like I'm I'm always trying to read for the benefit of the doubt for people because in the modern day with you know the cancel culture and and you know. You have one moment that happens to be caught on camera, but it's taken out of context because you don't. Nobody saw the entire exchange, and so maybe it looks worse than it is. So if I'm looking to give the guy the benefit of the doubt, I would say that maybe he was just trying to get Harrison's attention so he could throw the ball to him, and Harrison would catch it and throw it back to the infield because he's like, I don't want this. But it's kind of crazy considering that. Uh, first of all, never throw a home run ball back. I think it's dumb. Like, wouldn't it be cool to just say, "Hey, I caught this home run ball," and you could show people here it is. Or better yet, if you don't want it, give it to a kid. Find a kid at the ballpark. It'll make their night, make their week, and it's a, a cool thing to do. Don't throw it back at Harrison Bader. He doesn't need it. Hennessy Cabrera already has another ball, I'm sure. And so maybe it was just one of those deals where you get into a moment that you don't expect to be in, and then when you're in it, you try to leverage that attention and say, hey, maybe I can get the attention of the uh, Cardinals center fueler, and that would be kind of a cool story to tell. At any rate, didn't go very well, and Bader didn't seem too thrilled about it because he fired the ball uh, toward the back of the bleachers. Uh, I don't think it was like a Trevor Bauer moment when he basically from the mound uh, a couple years ago. That must have been the COVID year. 
because he hasn't pitched in a while, by the way. <laughs> but uh, he he was pissed that he was getting taken out of the game, and he basically chucked the ball from the mound over the wall in the outfield, which pretty good arm. But it wasn't like that for Bader. But yeah, he kind of he kind of chucked it back there, and uh, just a weird situation that kind of developed with that. But that was a home run given up by Hennessy Cabrera. Uh, I wasn't super mad about it, by the way, because that made my six to five score prediction end up being correct. So I was kind of like, all right, just uh, let's see the score end right here because I want to be able to gloat on Wednesday's big show, which I am absolutely going to rub it into Andy's face. It's going to be hilarious. I cannot wait. You should tune in from four to six, uh, depending on the the status of the Cardinals game at that point. They should be done. But then again, there's rain supposed to come into St. Louis on Wednesday. So who knows if they'll even get the game in against the Royals game two for that series. Nevertheless, Let's get back into Jordan Hicks because I thought the fact that after an 11-pitch at-bat to start it out, and he walked the guy, the fact that his next 16 pitches recorded six outs, ended up with just 27 pitches on the night. They said he was good to go up till 45. Clearly, that wasn't going to happen. They're going to take him very slowly and kind of work him in. I would expect that you could probably see him between 30 and 40 pitches maybe in the start that he makes on Saturday. Uh, we still haven't seen Drew Verhagen you know, Jake Woodford will be well rested uh, again before that outing. And so any of those long relievers for the Cardinals could be options behind Jordan Hicks coming out of the bullpen on Saturday. And they'll have to maybe plan that a little bit ahead because Marmol knows that right now, okay, Wednesday, you could throw pretty much anybody for three innings and expect that guy to be available on Saturday on what would be Thursday, Friday, a couple days rest. So, but as it gets a little bit closer, I think they'll have to decide, okay, this is going to be our piggyback with Hicks because he's just not to the point where you can expect him to go deeper into a game, deep enough to basically count it as a real start. He's like a pseudo-opener for right now. That's not the terminology the Cardinals are using. And in the long run, you hope he's able to build himself up enough to where it's not even a noticeable difference between what a regular built-up starter would be. He could throw five innings, six innings. Down the road, end of April, You know he'll maybe be a little bit closer to that. But as of right now, it's going to be kind of slowly building it up probably five to eight pitches per game more than what you saw in the previous one uh, to make sure he's completely good to go. But he looked sharp. And once he got the slider going, the way he told Kisner he wanted to do, he was able to be efficient and able to put it where he wanted it. And that's such a nasty pitch. And it's going to make him, it's going to make him tough. You know, you've got the 98, 99 mile per hour sinker. And again, I know you guys are used to seeing Jordan Hicks be the guy throw 105 and 104. He does not have to be that guy as a starter, and he's not hes not going to be, and that's okay. Don't freak out when you see Jordan Hicks only throwing upper 90s. Let's recognize that you look around the game at the guys that, as a starter, can throw 98, 99 the way Jordan Hicks can. Every pitch doesn't have to be 100 miles per hour. I don't know if he threw any 100 miles per hour pitches on Tuesday. Frankly, it doesn't matter. Uh, his stuff is going to play. Now, the one thing I think that is going to be beneficial, if he can figure out a way to do it, and again, tonight in a two-inning outing, maybe didn't need to. But throwing that third pitch, being able to show something else to batters, I think may be important the more he stretches out. And the changeup can be that third pitch for him. He said tonight he didn't throw it. I feel like it's one of those things where you're easing in. You're going to go with your strengths, especially in a close game that your team's trying to win. Hicks ends up getting the win tonight because he throws two innings, innings four and five. Dakota didn't qualify for the win because he doesn't go five. That is what it is. But I feel like down the road, you could see maybe more of that change up when he ends up having to face lineups the second time, third time through. That obviously was not the case tonight, and so it didn't really feel like he needs it. But with the sinker and with the slider, those are two nasty pitches that 
the slider can be a weapon because he's throwing that in the low 80s, 81 to 84, kind of that range at times tonight. And so uh, I feel like the ability to maybe take a little bit off of that pitch, put a little bit more onto it. He talked about getting the shape that he wanted with the slider and finally felt like he was able to do that in the second inning. You go back and watch the, the at-bat against Salvador Perez where he started 98 sinker and then went slider, slider on the outside corner, different heights within the strike zone, making Salvi look silly. And again, this is a guy who would go on to hit two home runs on the night outside of that at-bat against Hicks. That's dangerous, man. That's a guy who hit 48 some on home runs last year, and you're you're getting him off his front foot, not looking good, kind of waving at a slider down and away from him. Jordan Hicks has that kind of potential, and that's why the Cardinals put him in the rotation. That's what they're hoping to be able to get from that five spot. Because listen, if Jordan Hicks gets built up to a point where he's throwing five, six, seven innings, Jordan Hicks is not a number five starter. I mean, he's he's more of a a mid to higher end of your rotation kind of guy. The only question has been the workload, his ability to, to stay healthy long enough to do it. His stuff has never been in question. And I think as a starter, that's the one thing you're going to want to see. The changeup, it's been something he's worked on for sure, but he just hasn't really needed it in the past as a re, as a reliever. It'll be valuable to be able to show that if he gets into starting situations uh, the way the Cardinals project that he will. But I would say, honestly, really encouraging stuff from him on Tuesday night because when you, he's been a guy that has not generated a ton of swing and miss stuff all the time. With that, For a guy that throws triple digits, I'm not going to say he hasn't generated a lot because he's still above average. I saw a few tweets kind of debating this back and forth tonight from what folks were saying, and I haven't dug into the numbers too deep myself. But average to above average as far as whiff stuff on the sinker. But you would expect with it being the velocity that it's been throughout his career when he's been a reliever, it's 101, 102, 103, 104, 105. You would think for that kind of velocity, you would get such a better uptick in whiff rate than he's really had. And and it's kind of ebbed and flowed. And sometimes it's been dipped down a little bit more as far as what he's been able to do as far as swing and miss stuff. And so... Uh, it just hasn't really been maybe to the degree that you would expect for a guy throwing 104. But I think it's fine, and I think it's going to play, and I think the slider is going to play a big role as well as a swing and miss pitch for him. Just the more comfortable he is mixing it in, they've got to respect. The the way Hicks put it is they're going to have to respect me for 98, and that's going to make 84 a, a lot more difficult if it's got the shape on it that I want. So, Really encouraging for me for Hicks tonight on Tuesday, and and I feel like that's going to be an interesting spot for him to be in when they go to Miller Park, take on the Brewers on Saturday. He's going to make the start in that game that day. And, yeah, I am going to continue to call it Miller Park. I don't care what they're calling it. It'll always be Miller Park to me. And that's the way it is. Let's get into Dakota Hudson, though, a little bit before we wrap this thing up, Uh, trying to keep this relatively short for the night games because uh, it's past midnight. I want to be uh, dedicated, but at the same time, your boy wants to go to bed. So let's get into Dakota Hudson here real quick. What do we think of his outing on Tuesday? Uh, you, you heard in the little clip there that I played from KTGR, I expected three or four runs that he would give up in five or six innings. Obviously, only went four. I don't think that was his fault. At 70 pitches, that's efficient enough to get through five and maybe even six at most points in a season. But again, we're giving him the pass because Ollie was going to be careful with him just the way he's going to be with most non-Wainwright pitchers at this point in the season. He was fine. He gave up a couple home runs. It was a weird night at the ballpark, though. The balls were flying out to left field. I think in total the game had six home runs, which feels like a lot. That feels like something you don't normally see at Bush Stadium. 
But I thought Dakota had some sharpness to his game as well. That first inning, he he blew through the Royals lineup. I think two Ks in that inning of the four innings, he had four strikeouts, gave up five hits, gave up three runs. They were all earned. And when you give up two home runs, that's going to happen. But honestly, I think the key stat for me, no walks from Dakota Hudson. There's a weird night. The balls were flying out, so he gave up a couple. You know what? The Royals gave up several as well. That's why the Cardinals won the game. But you talk about Dakota Hudson not giving up walks. Combine that with the ability that he has to erase base runners, even when he does give up some base runners, whether it's by a single or by a walk or whatever, because he's a guy who can get the double play that's never going to be outside of his game. He didn't honestly throw very many sinkers in the first inning, by the way, though, when he had a lot of success. So I also like the idea that he's going to, as a sinker baller, you kind of figure that's that's going to be his bread and butter. But you kind of like the idea, too, that he can be flexible and, and mix in more of his pitches because I think that's something that can make him effective, not just relying on the sinker and not becoming too predictable. And so uh, while he gave up three runs, while it was in four innings and he didn't go particularly deep, 39 strikes on 70 pitches, and the ERA looks a little ugly, 6.75. That's one outing. Uh, I think it's fine. I think of the three non-Wayno starts that we've seen so far, Hudson's for me, was the most encouraging because for Michaelis, he wasn't able to be as efficient as he wanted to be with that 41-pitch first inning. And then you had Steven Matz obviously have a, a downright clunker. Wasn't what you wanted to see. Maybe the blister on the hand was part of the reason for that, and he'll be better ready to go the next time he takes the mound. Cardinals could certainly use that lefty presence in their rotation and, and have that be an effective one. Uh, but all in all, I thought Dakota Hudson was fine. I think there were signs of sharpness there. I liked that he didn't walk anybody. And the balls were flying out tonight. It was kind of weird. You've got the humidity. You've got the the warmth. And that was kind of the deal. It's kind of the reason that I think on Wednesday, there's supposed to be maybe some even severe thunderstorms, tornadic-like activity in the St. Louis area. And I feel like that's a jet stream kind of thing. And that's why we saw so many home runs tonight. Uh, the Albert Pujols home run was like a 390 expected batting average, which is is pretty low for a home run, but that was kind of the towering shot that it was, and it found the jet stream. He hit it high enough, he hit it far enough, and ended up being a dinger. And so that's that's kind of what you got at the ballpark on Tuesday night. Wednesday afternoon at Bush Stadium, the game plan is a 12-15 start. Again, that might be weather permitting, and by the time you're listening to this, it may have already happened in You'll be laughing at me and saying, ha-ha, Brendan, from the past, you have no idea what took place. Whatever. Don't care. 12-15, though, on Wednesday, Adam Wainwright, Zach Greinke. Could be a really interesting matchup. And I saw from the ballpark, I wasn't there for the pregame today uh, because of the radio show, and that'll happen often enough during weekdays for me. But I'll continue to uh, get as plugged in as I possibly can. But I saw that Ali Marmol had said in his senior year of high school, or pardon me, in Zach Greinke's senior year of high school, and it was Marmol's freshman year, Marmol hit a home run off of Granke when they played together, uh, played against one another, I should say, back in their prep days. And then Granke was asked about it and said, nope, that's impossible. It didn't happen. You know, maybe my junior year it happened because uh, for a guy like Granke, probably, and Jeff Jones tweeted this out and it made a lot of sense, said, yeah, you know, probably remembers the home runs that he gave up in his senior year of high school if there were only maybe one or two or none. Uh, I don't know how many there were, but Granke was... Uh, lighten them up back then. But basically the way the story goes was it sounds like it would have been the junior year for Granky, freshman year for Ollie, but that Ollie hit the home run. And then the next step back, Granky fired three fastballs, 97 miles per hour by him and gave him a glare that said, you're not going to do this again. That was, that was a one-time deal. And so uh, kind of a funny anecdote there from Ollie Marmol 
Jeff Jones, again, tweeted that out and is the only reason I knew about it because I wasn't there today due to being on the radio. So anyway, I'm excited to see the veterans go at it on Wednesday as long as they're able to with the weather. Adam Wainwright against the Royals, against Mike Bethany. That's kind of a fun storyline. Cardinals fans get one more chance to see Bobby Witt. Didn't really do anything of substance tonight, but uh, certainly one of the top prospects and, and rookie of the year candidates in the American League. thought it was interesting, too, that uh, Jordan Hicks had said previously that he basically didn't know who Bobby Witt was because he doesn't watch a lot of baseball. And uh, that was also Jeff Jones had tweeted that out that I saw. And so kind of funny there that he ends up striking the guy out tonight and Bobby Witt kind of slammed the bat down. Not super hard, but he was like, damn, the guy got me. So kind of interesting stuff there. And uh, you'll get another chance to see the Royals. Only four games between the Cardinals and Royals this year. And I think the second series is like early May. So that's kind of weird. I thought I always thought they played more than that. It was at least like five or six games. Uh, whatever the case may be. Now it's going to be all changed next year when they go to the balanced schedule, and, and I think it'll continue to be uh, kind of minimize what you end up playing against your rival just because, or your your cross-division, your cross-league rival, the way the Cardinals and Royals are always set up because they're going to the balanced schedule anyway, and so they got to find other games against all the other American League teams. Though that is going to be cool in the long run because basically it'll mean that every other year, Cardinals are going everywhere, right? You're, within a two-year span, you're going to Yankee Stadium. You're going to Fenway. You're going to Camden Yards. You're going to all the uh, the places in the American League that uh, maybe in the past you haven't seen. Like Albert playing the Cardinals in Los Angeles when he was with the Angels. It only happened like once, maybe twice in a 10-year period, and it took forever for him to get here, St. Louis. So anyway, a little segue about the balanced schedule before we end up the episode. But appreciate you guys, as always, for listening to B-Shape Daily, for locking in for subscribing. That's something you should definitely do if you haven't done so already. Uh, we did get a video as well on the Charlie Marlowe YouTube channel, so uh, sometimes you might be able to listen and slash watch what's going on over there. But make sure to subscribe at B-Shafe Daily, which is uh, found on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts as well. Give me a follow on Twitter if you don't already, at for 12 and more so than that, hit me up on Twitter. Send me a direct message. Let me know what you like about the podcast. Let me know if you enjoyed the uh, the Twitter spaces that we did on, what night was that? Today's Tuesday, yesterday was Monday. We did that on Monday where Twitter spaces, you can have an audio conversation with people. They can tune in and listen, and they can even raise their hand and, and talk with me on the show, which a few people were cool enough to do last night. So that was cool, something I might end up doing more often. But I, I just basically always want your feedback, try to give you content that you enjoy throughout the Cardinals season, keep you up to date on everything going on with the team, that's the game plan for all 162 and then into the playoffs, ideally, 2022 for the Cardinals. So appreciate you guys. Thank you once again, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Shaped Daily. Peace.